0: This episode of The Vast Majority is brought to you by Ovid.tv, the new streaming service with over 500 documentary and arthouse films, most of them unavailable on any other platform. Created with the help of eight leading independent film distributors, Ovid has a wide selection of films on international topics, U.S. foreign policy, human rights, and war and peace. From the anti-war epic Far From Vietnam and Stray Dog About a Vietnam Vet, to Torture Made in USA and The Kill Team about today's never-ending war on terror, Ovid.tv's films explore the history and tragic realities of America's military engagements around the world. And from now until July 31st, you can save 50% off the regular monthly subscription price. Just head over to Ovid.tv, that's O-V-I-D Sign up with the coupon code JACOBIN at checkout and you will get Ovid.TV for just $3.50 per month for three months. Welcome to The Vast Majority. I'm Jacobin Managing Editor Micah Utrecht. The first donation I ever gave to a politician was made in a previous political lifetime. I remember sitting in my apartment watching an ad for Elizabeth Warren's 2012 Senate campaign where she talked about how business owners didn't make anything on their own. They used highways and water infrastructure and public transportation and all kinds of other goods that were built by the public with public money. So it didn't make any sense for business owners to act like they had pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and didn't owe the rest of society anything. I was pretty far to the left of Warren at that point, but because I had never heard any other mainstream politician really talk like that, and a more robust socialist vision was nowhere near the mainstream at that point, I mailed her campaign 20 bucks. So I was a fan of Elizabeth Warren, to some degree, and still count myself at least appreciative of her, but things have definitely changed. Bernie Sanders has upended the political common sense of the country, and changed what's politically possible in America. And he's also opened up more space for politicians like Elizabeth Warren to make the case for their own brand of social democratic policies, even if they are a little tepid sometimes. But one area where there is a distinct difference between the two of them is foreign policy. Sarah Lazar wrote about these differences in In These Times magazine in an article that also appeared in Jacobin titled, Elizabeth Warren Can and Should Do Better on Foreign Policy. Sarah Lazar is a web editor at In These Times. Sarah, hello. Hi. So, people have been debating this question of whether progressives, whatever it means to be a progressive, should back Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primary, so much so that... People like Naomi Klein are writing, calling for us all to chill out a little bit on attacking whoever our non-preferred candidate is and focus on fighting the real enemy, which is Joe Biden. And I uh, don't think it would shock anybody to learn that I have a strong preference between Bernie and Warren that I'm uh, more than happy to talk about. But I do get where people are coming from on not wanting to go after Warren too hard because her overall shortcomings from a leftist point of view are – Nowhere near those of Biden's, but I also think it's important to have a full reckoning with Warren's record, not just on domestic issues, but also on militarism and imperialism abroad, which is what you give in this piece that you wrote. So before we get into the specific details of her record, can you just make your case maybe to a left-leaning Warren sympathizer or maybe somebody who... Backs Bernie or doesn't back any of the candidates, but also doesn't think that we should go too hard on Elizabeth Warren. Why any conversation about Warren has to include an analysis of her foreign policy record and maybe a discussion of how that record might change our perception of her?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so I actually think it's very important to hold Elizabeth Warren's foreign policy record and the record of every 2020 candidate to the utmost scrutiny. And I'm honestly pretty frustrated with the reluctance to do so among some pockets of the left. Um, You know, this is someone who is running to helm the biggest military empire that the world has ever seen. We have roughly 800 military bases around the world. We have U.S. active duty troops deployed to 75 percent of the world's countries and people around the world are impacted by the U.S. military who don't get to vote in U.S. elections. Uh, People in Afghanistan, people in Yemen, people in Guam, a colony of the U.S., who disproportionately fight in U.S. wars. And I think the left has to be in solidarity with those people. Um, I will also say that at a time that left politics are resurging, Um, The word socialism is no longer a dirty word and, in fact, is being embraced by one of the 2020 candidates, Bernie Sanders. It's a really important time to talk about what left principles mean. And it's an important time to make a statement that we're not going to build our domestic gains on the backs of other people. If you fight for domestic progressive gains at home but not abroad, that's just another form of chauvinism. And unfortunately, the US has a history of liberal and progressive chauvinism, perhaps best encapsulated by the administration of Lyndon B. Johnson, who at the same time he was unrolling his war on poverty and his great society, was escalating the war in Vietnam, rounding up and killing Vietnamese farmers, and using his progressive gains to justify US violence in Vietnam you know, saying that he was exporting the Great Society.
0: Well, and using the domestic social democratic gains to kind of like pacify parts of the liberal coalition that was backing him, right? Like, throw some bones to some groups within his constituency that could get them to sort of shut up about critiques about the war in Vietnam.
1: He was even taking progressive domestic programs like the Tennessee Valley Authority, and saying that he was going to export them to the Mekong River Delta.
0: <laughs> I didn't know about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty incredible. I actually think that's part of his aspect has been really overlooked. And in light of this history, we have to be incredibly careful. You know, we have to really embrace the principle of radical absolute equality, this idea that every human life matters the same regardless of national origin.
0: Yeah, in general, I think it's hard for people on the left to Figure out how to talk about foreign policy because if you talk about foreign policy, US foreign policy and US imperialism in the language that it deserves, you know, it deserves hair on fire, screaming, like, look at what the US military has done throughout the 20th century and, and before is doing today. Look at the kind of misery that it's spreading around the globe. Look at how it undermines democracy and you know just leaves entire regions in, in drenched in blood and i mean there's there are no terms that are too strong to be denouncing us imperialism but if if you talk like that all the time i mean people don't respond well american average americans don't respond well to like us is the great satan uh rhetoric so it is hard to talk about foreign policy issues in a way that is compelling to people but it does seem to me like we're at a moment where there's new space for that to happen
1: yeah i think that there is new space for those conversations to happen i really hope people use it i mean we're seeing really sharp really smart analyses being applied to broken domestic systems we're seeing people being fiery and passionate and super smart when demanding medicare for all when demanding a Green New Deal, which, by the way, is international in impact and scope. Um, And we really need to see that same rigorous, critical thought applied to the entire rest of the world that's impacted by U.S. policy. And I think there's a lot of room for it, and I think we should demand nothing less. There has been some concern out there that too much scrutiny on Elizabeth Warren's Uh, policy track record, um, is somehow undercutting her as a woman, undermining her, that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are the same, so why wouldn't you support a woman? Um, First of all, it's not true that they're the same. Um, While Bernie Sanders is flawed and has made major mistakes and needs to be pushed, he is better on issues of war and militarism than Elizabeth Warren, Secondly, I think it's our duty as feminists to scrutinize the content of the policies of every 2020 candidate and to do so from a place of solidarity with people impacted by the U.S. military. People harmed are disproportionately women. The U.S. military is a violent, sexist institution that perpetrates gender-based harm around the world if you know about, you know, the efforts to get US bases out of South Korea, out of Japan, one of the things that movements highlight is the increased sexual violence associated with US military presence. So I really think it's our duty to find a way to talk about these things and find a way to encourage lawmakers to bring the fire and passion that they have for a progressive n- domestic agenda to the sphere of international politics. And one of the reasons why this is so important is because foreign policy is the area where presidents have the most power to act without Congress.
0: So that's the backdrop to this discussion. Um, You write in the piece that once Warren's foreign policy record is scrutinized, her status as a progressive champion starts to wither. Even judged according to the spectrum of today's Democratic Party, which is skewed so far to the right on Warren militarism, it does not take much to distinguish oneself, Warren gets an unsatisfactory grade, not the last in her class, but far from first. So can you give the big picture overview of uh, where Elizabeth Warren stands on these foreign policy issues?
1: Happily. Um, So I want to be clear that Elizabeth Warren has voted for military de-escalation on some issues including the war in Yemen. But she has not been a leader. And she has not stood up against, and in some cases has gone along with, some of the most belligerent acts that have occurred under her watch. Um, She vocalized her support for sanctions on Venezuela as recently as February. She approved a new round of sanctions against Iran, North Korea, and Russia that were bundled together. She cheerleaded the 2014 Israeli war in Gaza uh, she sounded a lot like Netanyahu, really echoing his talking points. Um, and then she backed the 2018 uh, NDAA, the big war budget bill, while Sanders didn't. Um, yet both of them voted against it in 2019.
0: So before we go too much into these specific cases, you how, how would you characterize her? I mean, you sort of say it in that section that I just read from about how she's not the worst in the party – but she's certainly not leading. I mean, is she just sort of like a a typical Democrat when it comes to foreign policy and the U.S. intervention around the world? Or how would you characterize uh, what her stance is?
1: So I would put her ever so slightly left of center while doing some things that are unforgivable. Um, The thing that's really hard for me is that Um, It takes so little to distinguish yourself on foreign policy, (laughs) and the bar is so low that it would be so easy for her to do better. But she isn't doing better. I also want to be clear that while Sanders is better than her, he could also be pushed quite a bit. Um, he has done made some major mistakes in his life as well. You know, in my piece, I sort of look at where he measures up compared to Warren. But he also has this whole history before Warren was in the Senate. And just one of the things I want to point to is that he voted in favor of the 2001 authorization for use of military force, which was used to justify not only the war in Afghanistan, but has actually been invoked to justify multiple other U.S. wars of aggression since.
0: Um, Why aren't they talking about using that as justification for invading Iran now? Yeah,
1: yeah, Pompeo is saying that the U.S. supposedly has the authority to use it, and there's a new effort in Congress to repeal the authorization for use of military force.
0: So, in summary, Elizabeth Warren... You said slightly better than the middle of the pack, but also doing some real unforgivable shit.
1: <laughs> yeah. And when I say she's slightly better than the middle of the pack, the middle of the pack is really bad right now. Um, the well, what
0: mi- it always has been, right?
1: Yeah. But but she's sort of gone along with some of the Trump era um, warmongering of the Democratic Party. so. Even though Elizabeth Warren says that she is a big supporter of the Iran nuclear deal, and in fact was one of the lawmakers who came out early in support of it, um, she voted in favor of those new sanctions, even as John Kerry, who's by no means a peace activist, was warning that it threatened to undo the nuclear deal in Iran. And now we're seeing Trump announce a new round of sanctions. And unfortunately, when you've, when Democrats universally vote for stuff like that, it sets the stage for Trump to do what he did. And so on that 2017 bill, every single person who caucuses with the Democrats in the House and Senate voted in favor except Bernie Sanders at the time, an independent who caucuses with the Democrats. He was the only person to vote no. And to be fair, he said that he, voted no because he was against the iran sanctions but he did say he supported sanctions against russia and north korea which i think is a mistake but nonetheless he was the sole no vote and i think that that's important
0: so can you talk about some of these other specific examples in the piece you go through country by country warren's record um let's start with venezuela uh things have calmed down in Venezuela as opposed to where they were even just a few weeks ago. Um, but what is her record on Venezuela?
1: So we actually saw her move rightward a bit as the crisis boiled. In January, she told the Huffington Post that she opposes sanctions on Venezuela and opposed intervention. Um, but on February 21st, she told Pod Save America, the podcast, um, that she actually supports economic sanctions and i can just read you the quote it says i support economic sanctions but now we're going to start we've got to turn the dial some here we have to offer humanitarian help at the same time we've got
0: to turn the dial and offer humanitarian help at the same time that's a that's a you know it takes a sort of Uh, I I would like to see both of those things happen at the same time, like crank up the pressure on Venezuela in ways that assumedly include things like sanctions, which result in humanitarian disaster. Right? Yeah.
1: I mean, there have been very few studies of the humanitarian toll in terms of deaths due to Venezuelan sanctions. But um, CEPR actually released a study pretty recently that found that according to their estimates, between 2017 and 2018, 40,000 people died as a result of U.S. sanctions. So I just want to be clear that sanctions are a very brutal and violent form of economic warfare. And um, I I was very disturbed to see her change her tune. Um, So I will say to her credit, Um, She did finally sign on as a co-sponsor of a Senate resolution to prohibit unauthorized military force. This actually happened um, since the article came out. It happened as recently as June 3rd. Um, But Bernie signed on March 25th. So he signed on a lot earlier than her. And he signed on when the crisis was still acute.
0: And you've made that point several times about the timing of when Warren versus Bernie or others are signing on to these things. And that timing really matters because... It's a question of whether or not you're leading the the charge against the attempt to go to war, right? Or whether you're sort of like licking your finger, putting it in the air, seeing where the wind is, and then once you decide that it is safe, then you're willing to come out against it. And the democratic uh, you know habit of of doing that over and over on foreign policy issues, especially, seems like it's what paved the way for the bellicosity of the. Trumps and the John Boltons of the world to just like, they don't have a real opposition to what they're trying to do in these countries from the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is not a real opposition party to their imperialist agenda in these countries. So they're just sort of like basically, you know, rolling out the red carpet or at least looking the other way while the just, you know, insane uh, warmongers of the world are, are, you know, licking their chops, looking at a country like Venezuela or Iran, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's very important to pay pay close attention to who does what when. I mean, you know, just to give a totally different example, one of the important things about Biden and sort of his support for the 2003 U.S. invasion of Iraq, it wasn't just that he voted in favor of it, it's that he led the charge. So the question we should really be asking is, who's sticking their neck out? Is it for good or for bad? What are they signaling to other Democrats that it's acceptable to do or not do? Um, and that's why I think this timing is really important. Also, it's just, you know, for people on the ground who are agitating, who are protesting, who are desperately trying to prevent U.S. wars of aggression, um, this timing really matters because you're fighting tooth and nail for every little bit of support that you're getting from lawmakers.
0: Well, and as we know, the conditions in places like Venezuela or Iran are changing by the day the what the u s is saying what the u s is doing about these conflicts and even um, the matter of a couple hours can really matter for what the Trump administration feels like it can get away with right I mean you know in the more recent actions around this explosion of a uh, on a, on a tanker in the Gulf of Oman like I don't know about you but during that period I was like we could be going to war at any moment with Iran. Right. That's clearly what they're trying to accomplish here. So um, we should be paying very close attention to uh, that timing, and that really matters for how we should assess these uh, figures on their foreign policy stances. We're bringing up Iran now, so why don't we talk about her record on Iran? Uh, you write about it in the piece, and there's obviously been quite a bit that's happened since you wrote about it, but give us the the overview of uh, her record on Iran.
1: So on Iran... Um, At the beginning, Warren aligned herself with Obama on the nuclear deal. Um, She was among the first Democrats to declare her support, um, and she gets credit for that. And she also released official statements and did the whole shebang. Um, However, uh, in July 2017, Warren voted in favor of the aforementioned uh, new sanctions on Iran, Um, So one of the things that to me is so significant about that vote and the way Democrats universally got behind it is that it's a very clear example of how the sort of sole focus on Russia and Russian operations and Russian influence as a resistance strategy against Trump was weaponized to harm numerous other countries. And Seeing that go down was very frustrating. I feel like there was a lot of bellicose rhetoric about how we're going to stand up to Trump and we're going to make sure he's not colluding and this and that. And meanwhile, no one is looking at the material reality of how this concretely impacts people's lives. Sanctions in Iran uh, disproportionately affect poor people. They disproportionately harm people at the intersections of multiple forms of oppression they're really, really bad. And I think that we really need to look at that 2017 vote when Warren voted the wrong way.
0: And just to be clear, so you were talking about what the impact of the rhetoric on Russia, the sort of Russia uh, hysteria by a lot of liberals uh, and sort of turning up the the pressure on them, that meant new sanctions for Russia, right? Yeah,
1: so, so that rhetoric was used to bundle... Sanctions against Russia, with sanctions against Iran and North Korea, and it was also used to create a climate where people were not willing to dissent because then you get called a Russia apologist.
0: Right. So it's just an important thing to keep in mind, and when we're thinking about these things in the future, like the Russia Gate stuff, does doesn't stay confined just to Russia. It's used to whip up this larger. Uh, agenda. It's all part of this buildup towards actual war with Iran, yeah. and I don't think any liberals who are, you know, incensed about Russian collusion would probably be thinking about that when they're, you know, tweeting about uh, whatever, whatever aspect of of Russia Gate that they're most pissed off about that day. But that was the uh, the effect uh, in, over you know months and, and several years that it was used in a way to. Uh, build towards war with Iran.
1: Yeah, and I mean, just a side note, it was used to measurably increase the U.S. military budget. The last NDAA explicitly cited um, a pivot to counter Russia and China, in addition to continuing the horrors of the so-called war on terror. So I will say, as recently as December 2018, um, Warren called for the United States to reenter the nuclear deal. So just a year after she called for new sanctions on Iran, then she's saying we need to recommit to the nuclear deal, but it's not accompanied by sort of accountability or apology for her own role in undermining that deal. Um, and then, I, you know, as I mentioned before, she did sign up as a co-sponsor on May 14th to um, S1039 to prevent unconstitutional war with Iran. It took her more than a month to sign on, Um, Sanders was a co-sponsor from the day the bill was introduced, and Harris and Booker are not co-sponsors.
0: What about her more recent rhetoric on Iran as we've gotten closer and closer to war with Iran? What does it look like?
1: Senator Warren has denounced U.S. military action against Iran. She's made it clear that she would be against that. Um, However, some of her rhetoric has been pretty frustrating because she will say things that lead with the insinuation that Iran is an aggressor in this situation. Here's here's a quote from a recent tweet. I hope Iran chooses a different path, but let's be clear, Trump provoked this crisis. He has no strategy to contain it. He's burned through our friends and allies, and now he's doubling down on military force. We can't afford another forever war. So in this case, her statement is better than what a lot of Democrats are saying, Uh, so we're seeing this sort of non position position being put out there. Uh, we saw Tim Kaine call for, um, you know, we need a congressional vote. Trump should not be able to do this without congressional authorization.
0: Tim Kaine, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. (laughs) There was some throwbacks here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so it's this way to sort of posture as though you're standing up to Trump without actually having to say, that you're against the war um or the
0: idea is that he is being sort of irresponsible in how he's ratcheting up pressure with iran but you know obviously iran is doing things wrong and obviously we do need to be ratcheting up pressure on them but trump is just doing it in an irresponsible way
1: right it's hand-wringing over procedure um so um i will say that sanders also strongly denounced u.s military intervention in iran a little bit more strongly than Warren did um so here's a quote from him um let me just say this i will do everything i personally can as a united states senator to stop the united states attacking iran if we go to a war with iran this will be an asymmetrical war which will go on and on and on uh there will be never-ending wars in the middle east he references the quote worst foreign policy disasters in vietnam and iraq um so i do have to say his statement was more robust he also just released multiple statements uh he released more statements than warren um but i do think warren gets credit for at least going beyond what a lot of democrats are doing and actually saying that she's against the war
0: so you mentioned other countries in your article we probably won't have time to go into all of them Um, you know you said at the beginning that warren's record on yemen has actually been fairly strong before we move on from individual countries you also talk about north korea Uh, Can you talk about Israel-Palestine?
1: Yeah, this is an area where some of her early rhetoric and positions are pretty shocking. Um, I will say she has improved slightly. So in the middle of Israel's uh, horrific assault on Gaza in 2014, uh, euphemistically called Operation Protective Edge, um, that killed more than 2,100 Palestinians, here's a quote of hers that is honestly pretty indistinguishable from the what the far-right Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu would say. When Hamas puts its rocket launchers next to hospitals, next to schools, they're using their civilian population to protect their military assets. She said this August 20th, 2014. And she said, I believe Israel has a right at this point to defend itself.
0: And I feel like I hear quotes like this. This is a common talking point, not just during Operation Protective Edge, but really all the time in... Israel, Palestine, and that is usually said right after somebody is like, "Why did Israel just bomb this school and kill you know dozens of children?" Or why did Israel just bomb this hospital? This is the kind of rhetoric that's used. Uh, well, you know, Hamas is putting its rocket launchers there, and so that's that's why it's unfortunate. But it's about putting the blame on Palestinians rather than the, the Israelis who launched the bombs.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's hard to really convey the dehumanizing nature of that rhetoric because there's also this note of Palestinians don't love their children. Palestinians don't have a will to live. Palestinians would sacrifice their own children. It is so dehumanizing. It's hard to really convey that. And at the time, this was the kind of rhetoric that was really used to justify this horrific ongoing onslaught. Um, So to be fair... Um, in July 2014, both Sanders and Warren and every other senator unanimously passed a Senate resolution saying that Israel has the right to defend itself and blaming Hamas. And so Sanders made a mistake doing that. And it's pretty inexcusable that that passed unanimously. And so we have to reckon with that. Um, I will say that Warren is clearly closer to APAC than Sanders. Especially with Palestinian freedom, it takes so little to distinguish yourself. The bar is set so low. Um, But the last 2016 election cycle was really interesting to see Bernie Sanders skip the AIPAC conference, give a speech instead, say that Palestinians have human rights that should be respected um, and to say that Israel used disproportionate force in Gaza in 2014, like I said, that is the bare minimum of what we should ask. And so I'm reluctant to give him too much credit for that. That's, low bar. <laughs> that said, that said, that was a defiance of the political establishment, which is skewed so far right that just saying Palestinians have human rights in 2016 was considered way out of bounds. Um. So I do want to be fair and just note some of the ways that Warren has improved her record a little bit. So um, in 2017, Warren and Sanders were among just a few senators who refused to co-sponsor a bill, um, criticizing a 2016 U.N. Security Council resolution that deemed Israeli settlements illegal. And, um, and that same year, Warren joined nine other senators, including Sanders, um, asking Netanyahu not to demolish the Palestinian village of Susia, and also um, not to demolish and invade um, the Bedouin community of Khan al-Ahmar. And that was November 2017. Booker and Harris didn't sign onto that letter. So those are just a few examples. I actually think she has been getting a little better on Israel-Palestine. I think that that probably reflects some movements in the base of the Democratic Party. Um, But I also will say that where she's getting better, Sanders, is too. And She's not better than him, and she's done things that are pretty inexcusable.
0: So as I mentioned, there are other countries that you go over in the article, and uh, folks will have to read those in the article to get the full story on her record on countries like North Korea. Um, But sort of to wrap up, uh, I wonder if you – agree with this that as you said his bernie's record on imperialism is far from perfect uh but he does have a long-standing record of anti-imperialism like if you read his book his first book outsider in the white house about his time as mayor of burlington vermont it's really inspiring to see the kind of stuff he was doing around foreign policy he said he wanted burlington this small town to have a foreign policy and You know, recently there was all this attention about his trips to Nicaragua after the Sandinista revolution, and he's hosting teach-ins with Noam Chomsky about El Salvador at the Burlington City Hall, Um, and he had this whole sister city program with several Central American cities as well as one in the Soviet Union. Uh, So... he at least seems to be operating out of this fundamental belief in uh, – or this fundamental opposition to U.S. imperialism even if he doesn't always follow through on it and I think that's also true of his domestic policies. They come from this lifelong belief in social democratic and democratic socialist policies and Warren on the other hand has only recently come around on the domestic stuff and uh, and the extent to which she has come around is sometimes questionable. Um, but on foreign policy, especially, you see this reflected that she's only sort of relatively recently in her life come around to this sort of left leaning view. And her sort of riding the middle ground of the Democratic Party kind of reflects this. And so I don't want to get too much into sort of people's personal. Characteristics exp- explaining their their current stances or whatever, but it does seem like it matters that Bernie has this lifelong track record of opposing imperialism that Elizabeth Warren doesn't.
1: I hope so. Um, I hope so, and I think he needs to be pushed. I mean, he he deserves credit. I do, however, ha- have to note a few things about Sanders' track record. Um, in 1998, he voted in favor of the Iraq Liberation Act. A pretty bad thing, saying that it should be the policy the policy of the United States to overthrow Saddam Hussein. And he also supported the 1999 bombing operation in Kosovo. Um, one of the things that gives me hope is that he recently recruited longtime progressive peace activist, Keen Bat, to be his um, comms director and policy advisor for the Senate office, not the campaign, but the Senate office. And um, Keenbot Bhatt uh, has been doing a lot of really great behind-the-scenes work trying to end the war in Yemen. Um, I see him as someone with more ties to movements than your average 2020 candidate. And I think that his recruitment is a hopeful sign. I know there's been a lot of focus on Matt Duss, but I have personally been excited about Keenbot.
0: Matt Duss, who's another, I think, maybe the most senior foreign policy advisor to Bernie.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's important to look at who 2020 hopefuls are surrounding themselves with and who their advisors are. Um, So just a quick look at Warren's foreign policy advisors. Um, There's Sasha Baker. Um, Sasha Baker comes out of the Defense Department. And then there's um, Ganesh Sitaraman. Um, He is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, um, which has... Uh, done a lot of bad things foreign policy wise, just two things I'll mention is they have argued in favor of confrontation with Iran. And they've also ar- argued in favor of um, a US, US military bombing of the Syrian government. And so, I, you know, just sort of comparing and contrasting who these candidates are surrounding themselves with is meaningful. Um, but everyone has to be pushed to do better.
0: Sarah, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: The Vast Majority is produced by Sarah Hurd at Studio 10 in Chicago. You can subscribe to The Vast Majority and to all the Jacobin Radio podcasts on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can always read us at jacobinmag.com.